This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. and welcome to episode 51 of Woods and Waters Project Podcast. I'm your host, Steph Lane, and as always, I'm so excited you're here. This week, we have Mia Anstein, and if you don't know who that is, she is, oh my gosh, so freaking cool. I I was so excited that she said yes uh, that we got to jump on a Zoom call. It felt like I got to meet her and really just get to know her. And we just have a genuine, awesome conversation in this podcast. But if you don't know who Mia is, uh, she was the first American woman on the cover of Field and Stream magazine to start. She is an outdoor writer, a licensed outfitter, hunting guide, life coach, keynote speaker, and a range safety officer, firearms instructor, and archery instructor. She has her own podcast, uh, Mac Outdoors Podcast. Check that out. We'll definitely share a link so you can find her, follow her, and believe me, after you get to know her, you're going to want to. I actually came across Mia roughly a year ago uh, in an article about the most influential women in the hunting industry, and Mia was at the top of the list, and I absolutely understand why. She is a wonderful human who takes such a positive look on things and it's just really really wonderful i am so excited for you guys to meet her hear her story learn from her listen to her and she's she's just a great she's just a great example of an outdoorsman and i am honored mia thank you so much for being on this podcast we are so excited to have you 
I'm happy to be on your podcast. It's really an honor. And I think it's great that you invited me. My name is Mia Anstein and I'm an outdoor writer. I'm a hunting guide. I'm a mentor. I'm a, a shooting instructor, a, a hunt, volunteer hunter ed instructor. And I also volunteer in a huge capacity to support second amendment and hunting rights. That's awesome. <laughs> I, you know, if anyone's not familiar with Mia, I know uh, you were part of this really powerful group of women that were on the cover of Field and Stream magazine. If I remember, it's the, like, you have like an elk strapped to your back, like it's like a mountain shot, right? It's, is that the, is that the yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. Um, and like that story about you and um, just getting you know going out hunting getting your daughter out hunting um becoming a guide was just really powerful and uh you know my my listeners hear me say this all the time but it got me like super jacked up <laughs> because uh <laughs> as somebody who loves to mentor women and also uh, mentor kiddos you know recently i went to guide school which i've shared a lot about on my podcast um it just like spoke to me in a lot of ways and it's almost overwhelming to me because I don't even know where to start. I want to know your story and like pick your brain. Um, but you've done so many really, you know, so many cool things and it's just, it's super inspirational and you're, and you're so positive about, you know, things and bring it in a way that's really approachable. So, um, well, I like to hear you say that. I mean, I, <laughs> I try to be a positive person and, um, quite honestly, in the past couple of years, it's, it's challenging to be positive and um, with everything that's going on in the world, it's like, oh my gosh, like you don't want to turn on the news. You don't want to scroll. I used to be huge on Twitter and I get on Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, like it's, it's very depressing. So what I've kind of chosen to do is like scoot that stuff out of my life. If it's something that causes me anxiety, but something that even a stressful day in the woods is still an awesome day in the woods. So I try to kind of focus out for time and um just whether it's by myself or with other people that's like my happy place <laughs> yeah yeah I hear that that's awesome and are, are you do you you're in Colorado right is that where you currently are yeah yep um we have a couple of ranches in southwest Colorado near Durango and I kind of I grew up in Pagosa Springs and my parents divorced when I was just going into high school I school and college in San Diego and that's I had family out there so I've been there on and on but going to school out there kind of opened my eyes to what I had grown up with where I lived and when I teach hunter ed I I live in a rural area and so it's like I have to um, remind the kids here and adults here that we don't we don't represent the greater population. Like if you go to the city, a lot of them there when I was in high school, didn't know about hunting. A lot of them didn't even know about fishing. And in San Diego, there's actually great fishing at lakes and there's great fishing like at, in the ocean off the piers, stuff like that. So it was something that opened my eyes. And eventually after college, I moved back to Colorado and I've kind of focused my time on trying to share the outdoors with other people. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, it's, it's hard, like, maybe not hard, but um, the outdoors, like with how busy everybody is, like, it's such a special, like sacred time for so many people. Um, 
you know, for a while myself, you know, early adulthood, I really value, valued that time, like by myself, like the solo hunting and just that escape for my, for my mental well-being. And I still love that. And I still, and I still need that time for myself, but I, I take way more people out with me than I used to. And I, and I enjoy it so much to either introduce someone or just hunt with someone. Um, and it, it can be hard for people sometimes to step away from that solo time and, and be a little less, you know, it's, it's not selfish to, to have that time for yourself. I think we all need that outdoor time, but like to start sharing it with others and teach them is, is a big deal, you know, yeah. to give up, give up that time for yourself sometimes. It um, really is. Yeah. I, I really love that. Did you, so with hunting in particular, what did you kind of start with as, as far as, um, the type of hunting you were doing? Was it? So I grew up in a hunting family. Um, my dad and my brother would hunt and I learned how to field dress animals, how to package and put away animals when I was like five is the earliest memory I have of that. Um, so I've always been kind of in the hunting world, but my brother was five years older than me. So he and my dad would do the hunting and that's kind of how I started. Um, my great grandfather used to travel from San Diego to Pagosa Springs to deer hunt. And he'd bring my grandmother and her brothers and they would deer hunt. And so it, it's just kind of been in my family and, and something that I kind of assumed, like I said, growing up in a rural area, we had hunter ed in school, like families had guns. Um, it, it was just what I grew up with. So, um, I myself actually didn't start hunting until I was in my 20s and um, I was a single mom. I mean, I had guided, I had guided, uh, there's actually, I don't know if you can see back here, there's two books that I've been featured in. Um, one of them is the Women's Work Project and that's with the photographer who did the pictures for Field and Stream. He okay. interviewed me for that as an inspiration to his daughter. Um, he has I, I can't tell you exactly how many women he interviewed, but women in all genres, and he included me in that as a guide. That's so cool. <laughs> um, and then Why Women Hunt. And in the Why Women Hunt book, there's a story about me guiding my uncle on, one, an, on a hunt that was very impactful to me when I was 12 years old. And just seeing his success, like you said, sharing that with other people is just incredible and what he went through on his hunt. And um, so... I kind of grew up and that's how I got started hunting. It never occurred to me till later when I was teaching other people hunting, um, the things that we assume. So if I'm like in that story and then why women hunt, I'm glassing, I'm finding the bull. I am telling my uncle where to aim and, you know, where he's coming from. And my uncle shoots him, he's down. It never occurred to me, like with one of my really good friends was taking his son out and his son shoots and, or I'm sorry, it was vice versa. He was shooting. He brought his son with him just to teach him. He didn't tell his son to, to watch, didn't explain to his son where he's coming from. Didn't like when you grow up with it, you kind of learn it as you go. And since that boy hadn't been out with him, he didn't know. He's just sitting there like, oh, this is cool. And then you know, his dad's like, did you see that? Where did he go? And the son was like, I don't know. So, um, that's how I got into hunting and I got into guiding via my husband when I met him before we were married and he needed help guiding. So that's kind of how the transition from 
growing up knowing about hunting and what to do I mean when I finally started hunting myself I already knew how to aim what to do after I got the animal down how to get it out of the field so that that's something when I'm teaching those are big things that a lot of people we go to hunter ed and I mean like I said I teach hundreds of people and it's like well what do I do after I shoot because an elk you're not going to carry that out whole unless you're maybe in my pasture here at the ranch, you know, something like that. That's awesome. No, I, I, I like, I love that. Just you, you kind of, um, cause I, I feel like I had such the opposite experience. So you learning like those more intricate details and skills that that can be overlooked learning that early on before even like maybe even actually hunting yourself. Like, I think that's such a cool thing. Like that's, that's really neat. I, I, I think it's fascinating, like for my, you know, for myself, like my desire to mentor and do that is I grew up hunting. Um, but my dad was uh, self-taught and kind of like a, he's kind of a quiet man. Um, and when I was growing up, you know, I just went wherever he went and did whatever he did. I, I and if, as I got older, as I started to question things like, why do we sit in this tree stand? Why don't we try this area over here? As I started to kind of ask those questions and wonder like on a deeper level um, why we did things, he didn't always necessarily have an answer or maybe didn't just, just kind of expected me to just follow along and not ask a lot of questions. And even though I appreciated that time and I appreciated um, all the adventure and all the things I learned um, just naturally through being there, uh, as I got older, you know, I started to get a lot of people to ask me to take them hunting and, and do, and do those things with them. But I didn't feel confident in, um, those details, those deeper, like things like those next steps, uh, because I wasn't really taught them. Like I was exposed a lot. I went hunting a lot, but I wasn't really, we didn't talk about it. You know, we didn't walk through that stuff. Um, and I think my like desire comes from wanting to be the example I didn't necessarily have, you know, as much as I appreciate what my dad did teach me, there was some detailed stuff that was just missing. And so I, I just like really love that because myself, like I, I, when I was, before we started recording, I was talking about watching your YouTube channel and I, I got like really into it because, um, I really like to think about those things, like pause and think about those details about aiming and patterning guns and some safety things that I don't, I maybe get complacent with because I don't slow down and think about them. So even myself as a hunter my whole life, like I really appreciate that. I think that's really valuable. Some things that I noticed with a lot of hunters and, and I don't know, I can't speak for your dad or anything, but like not being able to say like why, because we get so into our habit of what we do. And so it's really cool to ask, well, why aren't the deer here? What are they doing today? Why, why aren't the elk talking today? Why, why are the woods quiet today? And, you know, to try to think of those things and what can I do different? And it depends on where people hunt. I mean, out West, I can, I can get on my horse and ride five miles away and go hunt and another draw or something, you know, um, if you only have your, your lease and that's your area, then you can choose to stay there or, you know, swap to a different blind or something like that, try different calls, but it really is. It's kind of funny because here, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of acres of public land and you go to the same place every year. 
And it, it kind of makes me laugh. It's like, you know, well, why don't we try somewhere new? Like, okay, you know, and sometimes it's logistics. It's like, okay, we have this much time to go. So um, I, I, when my daughter was in high school, I would drop her off to school. I'm like, okay, I can go, I can hike up this draw after I drop her off. It's still early enough to go to try to shoot a deer. And that's just something I'm like, so ask those questions. What can I do with only, uh, you know, however many hours till I have to go and pick her back up from school? And it, it's, it's kind of cool if you stop and start to ask those questions. And it's kind of ironic that you brought that up because I just listened to a podcast yesterday about the art of asking questions. And really we need to ask ourselves the questions. And so it's like, well, how, how can I be more successful? What can I do? And, you know, still maintain ethics and responsibility and all that stuff. So it's really cool that you were asking questions and with guiding, like if you're helping someone else, something that I've learned is, and it's my own technique, I'm very quiet until they need interaction. Um, I'm, I'm very much in tune with what someone else is doing, what they're thinking. If I notice on their face that they're nervous or perplexed, I will talk them through something. Um, but usually I try to let people have their experience and I kind of like curb and guide and buffer as we go. So. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think, um, you know, with mentoring and guiding, it's almost kind of like, I love it to see that experience through their eyes and be a part of their story and their journey and their next step. But, you know, if I'm being like really honest, a huge part of me mentoring and, and wanting to guide is because I I'm obsessed with becoming the best woodsman I can be, you know, like I, I, I live for this. I love it. And when I take other people, um, they ask me questions and put me in situations that I didn't either, either one of two things happen. I don't know the answer. And now I can like seek that answer out with them. And most of the time as a mentor, um, people are okay. If you don't know the answer, like they're, most people aren't worked up about you not knowing everything. Um, and then, so it makes me, it forces me to become more knowledgeable, but then on the other side, from a confidence building perspective, sometimes things like all of a sudden I have these moments of like, oh my gosh, I did that. I know how to do that. I've never been challenged in that way. And I actually do know what I'm doing. So, you know, it's kind of self-serving a little bit. And I think that's okay. Like, it just makes me realize the things that I'm good at. And it's also making me realize areas I need to improve. And that's also a really cool part of guiding and mentoring. I think it just constantly makes you better. Yeah. And I mean, hunting in general, we have successes, we have failures. We learn from if, if we blew a stock of archery hunting that we learn from that. Um, sometimes it's just, it is what it is, but yeah. putting yourself in those situations and especially something that I love about hunting with new hunters or even teaching people with new shooters is every time like they have a success, it's a first time for you also again. Like it's like the first hunt again. And it's so rewarding to do that. I mean, it's pretty cool. Even um, it's shed antler season, but we're not allowed to pick up sheds right now unless it's on private property in Colorado. But taking last year, I took a nine-year-old girl out and she found her first shed, you know, on one of the private ranches that we, we guide on. And it was just to me, like I said, you grow up and it's like, okay, I love finding sheds, but this little girl had never done that. And it was amazing to me. And then she wanted to know what it was and why, and, you know, explaining all that to her, it was pretty cool to, to do that. Yeah. 
I bet that's awesome. Me as a, you know, I'm born and raised in Iowa and haven't left the mid. I mean, I've seen other places, but everything you do is like mind blowing to me because I am a flatlander through and through. And I would love to like go Western hunting. Um, I'd love to go elk hunting, uh, talking to friends about going mountain lion uh, hunting soon. Um, I don't think I'm in shape enough for that, but I think I'm going to still attempt to do it. But everything that you're doing is just like, I would be, I would be like that nine-year-old girl. Everything we did would be like that for me. I'd be so excited. Um, <laughs> and I guess, and maybe, maybe this is a, a, a good question. Like do you, as a, as a guide and someone who has probably helped people from all over the country and the world, do you see a lot of like Midwestern um, flatlanders like come like hunt with you and then like that's like their first western hunt is that kind of a common thing and is that that's, that is, that is a really hard? common thing um one thing that happens and we're not doing as many guided trips anymore I mean I do a few but mostly disabled vets and stuff but when we were doing full-time guiding we have a we would have a lot of clients from the midwest like you're saying from Texas from West Virginia from um a lot of different areas they would come. But one of the things that I've learned when you come from the Midwest is, okay, you have white-tailed deer. And like in Minnesota, the white-tailed deer are as big as our mule deer. In Texas, they are not, <laughs> they're very tiny. Um, so that size varies, but, and then, you know, like in Oklahoma, if you have to have the whole carcass or different, you know, there's different rules everywhere. And they will come out and never have seen an elk before. And that's kind of cool to see like, wow, that's a big elk. Um, something that television has done, and I don't know if you watched my video about my big archery bull, but television has made it where people think that every bull is a huge monster. And I don't know if you know <laughs> scores for bulls, but um, the one in the YouTube video, it scores three. 52 is the gross score um and people think that they're going to get that or bigger and that archery bull was a limited draw unit I had to apply for years to get that and so it, it was it's a trophy area and so I got a, a decent sized trophy bull there were others that were bigger um but coming from there I've all I've guided a few guys one from Kentucky that he shot a good 300 inch bull and that was in New Mexico. And he was disappointed because it wasn't as big as what he had seen on TV, you know, and that disappoints me because yeah. really the hunt isn't about how big the antlers are. It's more about that experience. Um, so, I mean, coming from a different area and going to a different area, I like it when people are open-minded some of them, they want to go with a guide so they can learn. And something that I've always done when I guide is I want to teach you so that you can go by yourself and be successful. And so I try to explain like, this is why we're doing this way. This is why we're going here. This is what, this is what a mountain lion scratch looks like this, you know, like, I mean, you know, what a rub is most, most deer hunters know what rubs are. Um, so explaining the difference between a deer rub and an elk rub and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, a lot of people from back East, they'll come and they'll do a guided hunt and some of them will come year after year and some they'll do that. And then the next year they'll go on their own. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I can't, yeah, I can, I can actually relate to that to me, you know, any elk that my first elk hunt, whatever I get, I think I would, it wouldn't matter. It, it would like, would not matter what the size of it would be, I think I would be so just 
ecstatic and proud of myself and happy to be there. Um, and, you know, something that's kind of bizarre to me growing up in Iowa, you know, Iowa is where like the big bucks are, right? Like we have monster whitetails here. And that is true. And that has been true for a long time. But growing up, my, my dad um, and uncles have, you know, they've, they've shot some really nice whitetails. Like most of them are 150, 160 and above. Um, but even so, it was never like, they might like tease you, but if you shot a doe or a small buck or a good, you know, a decent deer, it was never, um, it really never was about the, the antlers like growing up and in our little like kind of bubble of hunting, it was just about going hunting and having meat in the freezer and like being successful, like, and, and, and getting something. It really was never about the antlers. And it wasn't until I got to be in like my twenties and I got more into social media that I realized like how hard people are on each other for shooting something under a 170. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what? what like all something that's up. super big with that and that I've tried to explain to people is you have to know the area yeah. um you know in Mississippi you can shoot like six deer a day or something I mean it's ridiculous I can't tell you the law there but yeah. <laughs> um but they also because they're overrun with whitetail they do shoot smaller deer because they have too many and they're destroying the habitat um like I told you about this guy that saw the 300 shot the 300 inch bull he was lucky to get an antlered elk there because of the number of elk that were there. So that actually was a nice big bull for the area. So you kind of have to know the area and talking about antler size. I've always, I grew up in a family, as I told you that hunted for food, my granddad would come out with a family. They would get meat for the freezer and go back home. Um, but I have always been that way too. I see like, you know, illegal bull elk and during season, I maybe not on the first day, but maybe, you know, further on, I will shoot that one, but because I like to be out there and I, you know, if you don't have time, you shoot something on the first day, but hunting that elk in that trophy unit, I will tell you what the most challenging thing was on that hunt. It wasn't hunting at 11,000 feet and, you know, from 9,000 to 11,000 and hiking. That wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was passing on huge animals. Um, And because like you, like we hunted for food, that wasn't a thing for me. Like, of course, I would want to shoot the more mature animal. um, But the very first morning, my husband and I are up there and I'm 30 yards from a broadside five by five bull elk that would have scored at least 320 inches and with my bow and uh, it, it's no wind I mean it was perfect and I'm there and I, I'm like looking at my husband like yeah 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 and he's like no no don't do this you know and that was at every day multiple times a day and your adrenaline goes up and then it would dump and then my adrenaline would be up and then it would dump and then I would stalk and blow a stalk and then my adrenaline, you know, and that was the most challenging thing was passing on animals, sneaking up and like, well, on the other side of the mountain in the other unit, I would shoot this, but we got to wait, you know, so it was, it was quite the hunt and hunting for, I respect people who do have a lot of trophy animals because that is definitely a challenge to try to wait and, and do that process. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Try, it teaches your patience. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, it, there's so many things there, you know, when, when you have, um, this gets brought up a lot with, uh, there's a, there's a program in Iowa that I've helped, I've helped with uh, called Field to Fork, and it's in other states also, where we take uh, 10 new, they're, they're new, new to hunting and they're new to archery. Um, the first time I helped with it, I was the archery instructor. So we met uh, once, once a week for two hours and did archery instruction and kind of some intro to hunting. And then at the end of 10 weeks, we took them hunting for the first time. We paired them up with a mentor and took these new adults um, hunting and, and, and kind of that group. Uh, and, and they were just being um, nothing negative. They were just kind of openly speaking their minds or their um, any reservations. Like, why haven't they hunted up until now? What were their barriers? You know, we talked through a lot of that stuff. And, you know, something that came up a lot was like the negativity associated with trophy hunting. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then on the flip side of, on, of that is, you know, because of social media, you know, if you're not on social media and you don't care about that, you know, that's, that's probably like a great place to be. Uh, but (laughs) when you, uh, are meat hunting and you maybe have a smaller, you know, I'm putting like air quotes up, um, deer on there people are going to give you hate you know like so that's not very inviting for new hunters who are going after meat obviously but then also like the new hunters maybe don't quite understand yet I think they will don't quite understand the patience it takes to be like a trophy hunter to just have trophies so there's like that weird um place in the middle as like a mentor that you're like oh I just want you to like understand each other a little bit better you know? and that's something that we we teach or at least I teach in my hunter ed classes are the stages of hunting so when you're a beginner and you're just like out there trying to figure out how to get it done um, then when you become successful and you make your mark and you you able to tag an animal then you progress into like wanting more of a challenge you may want to hunt different species stuff like that um, you may go into a different method stage to try to hunt animals with a bow if you were with a gun you know stuff like that um and then you go into a sportsman stage and i'll give you an example of a sportsman stage my daughter and i hunted antelope um in eastern colorado and we had five days to hunt and we saw does and does and does and does and finally second to the last day that we were there we saw a buck And we're sitting there and we both looked at each other and we were like, this is the only buck we've seen in five days. There are not many boys there to breed those girls. And so we were like, you know, we had a blast. We saw tarantulas, you know, we always explore and enjoy the outdoors. And we were just like, you know, shooting this only boy in the whole hundreds of thousands of acres that we hunted is not gonna make the week any better. And so we, you know, we just said, okay, we're not, we'll, we still continue to try to look for other antelope, but that was the only buck. And so that's called the sportsman stage where you kind of learn to uh, manage wildlife. You learn to pass stuff like that. And so we always teach the five stages. And then one of my co-instructors, he's been teaching since like the seventies, he's been teaching probably since before I was born. Um, (laughs) But he, he always laughs because my husband sat through the class with our nephew and, you know, being a hunting guide, there's also a stage and it's called the mentor stage. And so once you get past all of that and you're where you are, Steph, then you're a sportsman mentor and you can mentor that into everyone else. 
I love that. And I love hearing, I just, this last year became a hunter educator volunteer um, in Iowa. And I, the classes that I've helped with and that I've gone to, I've just been like really impressed with the group that we have out here and how they, they um, take a deeper dive into it. And, and I had a great experience when I, when I was like 11 and became like certified and everything. I, I, I remember it really well. Um, but like, there are a lot of um, instructors that are really digging more into like the ethics side and the um, kind of the timeline of a hunter. And I love that. Like, I think that's really important. Um, I don't think they talked about that when I was growing up. I'm fairly certain <laughs> they didn't go through any of those things. But I think about that, like, what do I want to share with these people um, and, and try to give them something extra and special and like put my uh, take on it, you know, to help just better educate them. So it's, it's cool hearing that you share that. Um, and, and if, if someone didn't grow up hunting and they're going to hunter education now, I know that, um, I just came back from an R3, uh, conference. Um, are you familiar with R3? Yeah. 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 yeah I figured you were. Um, so I just came back from that and we were talking about how a big part of R3 is tracking, um, hunting license in different state but that's just an indicator that doesn't mean that they're ready to go hunting right like just because someone gets right. a degree doesn't mean that they get a job right or they get a job in their field um hunter's education is the same way like yeah now they have a certificate but they're not really ready to go hunting yet and um so I've been like thinking about that a lot of like what can I do to just like help and make them feel a little bit more ready and a little bit more part of the community because I think from what I understand there's like a 39% drop off of like once someone, kid or adult, once they go through hunter's education, 39% of them don't even get a license. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like a high percent, I think. Um, yeah, that is a big percent. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so it just, it just like things I think about is maybe I just care too much. I don't know, but it's just really cool to hear you say that. Well, I think it's great that you care too much because more people need to care too much, you know, and more people need to care too much as in to help other people rather than to figure out what they're going to post on social media. Right. And, and to me, you've brought that up a few times in our conversation, the social media aspect. To me, social media is going to be the detriment to hunting. If we happen to lose hunting, it will be because of social media. Um, we, of course, as hunters, we want to tell our story and we want to show the whole thing. But what we're showing mostly is what they call grip and grin. So in a lot of the publications I write for, they don't want grip and grin anymore. But, you know, that's me with my antlers and a big smile. I'm so happy. And the thing is, the non-hunters, especially if you go mountain lion hunting, it, this is interesting to me um, on social media. If you share a picture and you're smiling with your mountain lion, you definitely will get attacked on social media. Um, I, I kind of have a, an audience that follows me that I don't get attacked too much. I thought for sure with the field and stream cover, having antlers and a rifle, I would get attacked by the anti-gun and anti-hunter. And I didn't. Um, the, uh, the mountain lion stuff, a mountain lion's a predator that can kill the elk, kills the deer, kills, you know, small game, kills anything it wants, basically. Um, in the past, like, 20 years, there have been 39 people killed by mountain lions. 
but they'll attack the people on social media will attack you for a mountain lion, but not for a defenseless doe. I mean, yeah, does can paw you. I get it. But, but it's like, that's where you have to care too much and you have to choose, pick and choose who you're going to reply to. But in the comments, like, why is, why is the mountain lion that can kill all these things more important than the doe or the buck? Um, I've, I had a waterfowl hunter comment on my, a picture of me with my mountain lion and why would you kill such a beautiful animal and i'm like what are you talking about ducks are gorgeous animals turkeys i think are beautiful um they're all beautiful and so i mean it's something that i'm glad to hear that you care too much and i'm glad that you have a podcast because you can point people to your podcast to help educate them and help them understand yeah thank you and i <laughs> i agree i i, I say this a lot like having a podcast and teaching classes and, you know, um, being from Iowa, I do kind of now lately, I have like a, a community of people I can do outdoor stuff with, but I didn't really have that growing up. I have a lot of friends and family, but majority of them, um, even the outdoorsy ones don't, don't, um, and and this isn't like a negative thing. They just, they just don't do it as much as I do. Um, so I don't have like this, this kind of, this this uh community local but on on social media now I have this like kind of family of people from across everywhere so I have such like a love and hate um with it right because you and I wouldn't have met without social media exactly Um, I I have a lot of core really good friends that if it weren't for social media I would not have met them you know so it is there is good and bad so (laughs) yeah but I agree I I do think that it will I mean that if anything is a detrimental hunting it would it would be social media and even myself as a hunter um I feel like I have a pretty good grip on it now I think um but I have not bad but I've had a couple examples of times where um I didn't even post the photo someone else posted a photo of me tagged me in it and it became like a big deal and I got a lot of hate for it and it was Mm -hmm. it like crushed my soul um and I I've just been like hyper aware of even things that to me are like innocent and ethical, um, don't always seem that way to everybody else. And it's been um, very eye-opening to me. And it's something I talk about in my workshops too, of just being really aware of like how you present yourself because it can get taken out of context. And unfortunately half those people are other hunters who just don't understand that specific hunting scenario, (laughs) which is really unfortunate. It's funny that you say that because I was not going to say, but the most attack I got for the field and stream cover was from other hunters. No. Yeah, it was. It was from other hunters. Um, Because I'm not famous, because um, because that 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 was actually a staged photo. The photo shoot was in May. That is not elk hunting season. And I mean, it's obvious to me, it's obvious a staged photo, Um, stuff like that. Like, well, Da, da, da. and it's like well hello like <laughs> um some people they uh, probably most of the people that saw that cover didn't know me um and they don't know how I hunt or where I hunt and stuff like that and I don't brag about myself very much but I will brag that I am definitely a badass elk hunter and I do hunt hard and I will hunt by myself or with someone else it doesn't matter what I need to do to get the job done but um, because of social media and some people posing with other people's animals and stuff like that, I also got that with my big bull. 
And that's why I made the YouTube video about it because people are like, you Photoshopped that bull. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I get attacked by other hunters. And so um, it's like, we really just need to be nice to one another because we are the minority in, not just in the United States, but in the world. Um, I, I'm a member of SCI and talking about trophy hunting, they, people think that's the trophy hunters club. It's really not. We work really hard to defend hunting rights. Um, I'm a volunteer and I'm the regional rep for the state of Colorado. And I try to work with our chapters to do, we do a lot of outreach, humanitarian projects, education projects, wildlife projects, um, stuff like that. But it's funny because Colorado, it's like everyone's about elk because we have elk. So the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation wants to fight with the SEI. And it's like, we are all fighting the same battle. And we, you know, so like, we need to just be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's crazy. And I, and I know, and I know there are lots of hunters that, um, they kind of stay in a specific, you know, they're just bird hunters or they're just elk hunters yeah. or they're just deer hunters. Um, and I get, and I think that's awesome. Um, and, and I guess for me, because I'm so, I'm probably a little too well-rounded, like maybe that's why I haven't gotten some like trophies because I, I don't put all of my time into one specific species. That's probably why. <laughs> but, but I love so many yeah like I love so many so maybe from I think hunters like that where they're maybe they hunt different things they just don't get they're like how can we all hate on each other so much um and I was wondering if you were going to bring up SCI actually uh this weekend is um so so my full-time job I work for a nonprofit called Pass It On Outdoor Mentors I'm the Iowa program coordinator so I plan uh, hunts for youth and trap shooting athletes across the state of Iowa one of our um, one of our partners who helps fund my position is SCI and they have been an awesome partner and like I've met the local many of the chapter members and they're they're incredible humans um, we have the Iowa Deer Classic this weekend and I will actually, I'll be working the SCI booth um, and hanging out with that, that group this weekend. So oh, cool. I saw, I knew that you were a part of that, but I wondered if it was going to come up in conversation. And yeah, and I'm just a volunteer for them. Like I don't work for SCI, but I, so I joined the uh, SCI Nat International. Um, I can't even tell you how many years ago, but I joined because of the lobbying efforts that they do. Um, to, to protect us. And that's partly why I joined NRA way back when as well. Um, NRA has gotten a little corrupt and shady. So, I mean, I'm, still, I'm a life member, so I'm still a member, but um, there are, there are springing up other organizations that protect our rights, but there really aren't a ton of them. Um, I'm a member, like I said, Rocky Mountain Elk, NWTF. I'm a member of Ducks Unlimited. I don't even know if I have a chapter here. But like you said, because I, I just want to support as much as I can because we are so under attack. Um, but so that's why I joined SEI. And then I, I've kind of grown in the capacity to be a regional rep. I'm a member of the ethics committee. I'm a member cool. of the membership development committee. I'm a, so I do a lot of different things in, in the organization, um, but all in a volunteer capacity. Yeah, that, no, that's awesome. I, I love I love hearing that. I, um, before working with outdoor mentors, I was really involved with my local Pheasants Forever and NWTF chapter. Um, cause especially, I don't know, it's hard for me to, I'm going to ask you this too later, but, uh, 
it's hard for me to pick my favorite type of hunting. Like I said, I'm a little more, probably too well-rounded, but when I have bird dogs, when I have a dog that kind of tends to be like a top choice for me. So I got really involved with um, pheasants forever and turkey hunting is always a top favorite for me. But um, our chapter was, uh, our chapters, so I'm, I'm 30 and at the time I'm like in my mid twenties. And as a female, like a young female, I was one of the only young females a part of these chapters. And they, they were very inviting. They were awesome to me. They were like second families to me. Um, but they really wanted me to help them uh, get more women and more young people like myself. And so they had me a part of like different outreach things and teaching, uh, doing archery workshops, which is kind of how it all started for me. Um, but it was like, and I think that a lot of our chapters are really, really trying, but it's really cool to know that you were kind of like on a big scale, like involved because um, there, there, it was mostly, and, and no hate, it was just mostly 60 plus year old white men. And, and they know that, but they were yeah. trying to involve more women, more diversity, um, but weren't getting out of their own way kind of yeah so this coming year um well in 2023 the SCI convention will be in Nashville Tennessee and it's the year of the woman so maybe you can make it down to that um they're working on a lot of different things but to celebrate women and, and not just women who hunt but like the wives of the yeah you know, the, yeah the men that hunt. and because we actually on the four corners chapter of SCI we have a board member she doesn't hunt she, and she knows how to shoot. She doesn't like to shoot. She just cares about wildlife and habitat and all the projects that we work on. And so it's like celebrating all women, not just women who hunt. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. I love that. That. <laughs> that, no, that sounds great. And actually it's a, I got a cal- I got a calendar. It's, um, it's a women's month, right? Isn't that like a, is this month? Yeah, I think so. I, I oh, had I a calendar right this morning. Um, but I think that's great. Uh, and I agree. And, and, and even though like deep, deep down, I think that everyone could be a hunter. I know that not everyone is going to be, and they don't fall in love with it. Um, the way like maybe we do and that's okay. You know, here's an analogy that I always tell people because like, I love to eat sushi and it's one of my, it's one of my favorite outings is to go have dinner and go have sushi. But like one year, my mom decided she'd buy me a sushi making kit for home. And I don't want to make sushi. I want to go buy sushi, you know? And so it's the same with hunting. Like just because I like elk meat doesn't mean I have to go hunting to get elk meat. Um, you yes. can, friends can donate meat. You can go to a meat market and get, you know, elk meat or different wild game. There are markets that will even ship it to you. Um, so, but not everybody wants to get dirty. And actually as a guide, um, as I told you, I've been field dressing animals with my dad since I was at least five years old. And yes, I was using knives at five years old. And yes, I've actually guided people who were 18 and didn't know how to use a knife. Um, but not everybody wants to do that part of it. And so I've actually guided hunters that don't want to do that. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. The only thing that I hope from someone that I guide is like to have respect and appreciate the hunt. Cause I did guide one guy that we got the job done. He took a picture and walked away. He didn't even care to keep the meat. He didn't care about the antlers. He he didn't care about any of it except for a picture for social media. And that to me is super disappointing. So um, if you have listeners that that's like, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I, I, um, not, and, and it's again, kind of the conversation of like, what's more, you know, beautiful or special and, you know, a mountain lion or a duck kind of conversation. But I get like that, like my, like I uh, talked earlier, I'm in Missouri right now, um, hanging out, scouting with my boyfriend. He's been a snow goose hunting guide for 12 years. Uh, I recently like helped him um, do a little bit of guiding and scouting and putting out thousand plus decoy spreads and stuff. But I've been on multiple hunts with him where, um, you know, clients shoot hundreds of snow geese. And I get that that goose isn't necessarily the most desirable meat, um, but there have been times where they shoot hundreds of geese and they don't even touch them. Yeah. And that's great. Like that makes me sick to my stomach. And we usually, we'll just take it and then we take it and make jerky or we give it to people back home um, or make something out of it. Like if you know how to cook goose, it's great. Um, yeah. Do you know who Hank Shaw is? Yeah. Because Hank Shaw has great goose recipes. Yeah. My, my family's favorite is the goose pastrami. And they eat that like candy. Like I can't keep up with, I mean, we don't have a lot of geese here. I mean, we have some, but yeah. I, we don't shoot hundreds. That's for sure. But that goose pastrami, everybody loves that. Yeah. It's, I think it's <laughs> goose. I mean, I'm, I haven't ate breakfast yet. So that, that'll make me <laughs> I'm thinking about that right now. Um, I, I recently have been learning to just like become a better cook and look at, um, I actually went to a women's trapping clinic and I've been thinking a lot about what one of the like teachers said about it. Cause I, I ate, I could, I ended up, so I have a portable trigger grill that I got that I sometimes I'll take with me places. And I happened to have it with me when I went to this trapping clinic, which wasn't to eat, you know, it wasn't to cook up possum. I just happened to have it with me in my truck. And, um, we got a bobcat and, I swore up and down years ago that I would never eat a bobcat. Well, all of a sudden I find myself, we had the bobcat. Everyone was really hesitant to like take it home to eat it. And I was like, you know what? Let's clean it right now. There's a bunch of seasonings here at this camp. We're here. I'll cook it on the Traeger Girl. I'll make it. I've never made bobcat in my life and let alone eat it. And I decided I volunteered myself. It was like an out-of-body experience and it turned out super good. And we, we ate it. Um, but one of the things the teacher was saying, he's like, the problem is, is everyone wants to cook everything like beef, not everything right. cow. So he's like, it shouldn't be treated like it's a cow. That's why right. they don't like it. And so with geese, because we snow geese, you get into swarms of thousands of them and, and you can shoot hundreds of them at a time. And it just makes me, they're a beautiful, really cool animal. It makes me super sad when there's people want to do this, this, uh, the pile smile where it's just piles of snow geese smile. And like what you said, they just walk away and they leave it. I'm like, what? Yeah. And you know, with, I don't know if the SCI chapter that's near you, but, um, our Colorado chapter, they donate to food banks. Cool. Um, so when they have something like that, some of them have pheasant hunting clubs and they do different stuff, but they'll donate to the food banks if, if they have large numbers like that. So that's always an idea is I'm, I know in our area, needy families and stuff like that, that we can donate to. And during COVID, 
and what in 2020, when it first happened, it was amazing how many people were calling and, you know, cause the grocery store shelves are empty and they're like, do you have any elk meat? Do you have, you know, can you share? And of course we'll share. Um, and it, that was really cool to me. It felt really good to be able to help them. Um, awesome. one of our friends, we traded apple cider for some deer meat. So. <laughs> Like, yeah. Okay. You give us some juice and we'll give you some meat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those food banks awesome. are, are, if they'll accept wild game, um, the one that I know of here, it has to be prepackaged and all that. You, so, yeah, but that's a great idea. And I laughed when you said Bobcat because our, our small game season ended on Monday, but over the weekend I shot a bobcat and I have my stuff set up in the kitchen right now because I'm gonna make bobcat chorizo is what I'm making with the oh bobcat. My gosh, that's so, awesome. Talking about like how you cook things, not everything has to be solo or a steak. Like that's gonna be I eat like chorizo. I in I get bagged salads because I I'm getting older. I'm older than you, um, but I try to eat healthy and so. I'll get a bagged salad. And sometimes, especially right now in the winter, it's cold. So I don't want a cold salad. And so I'll throw it into my cast iron wok and I'll put some, cook some chorizo in there and put the salad in there. And all of a sudden I have like a tasty meal instead of just yeah. lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I've been really, <laughs> I need to, I I'm in my winter, in my winter coat right now. I'm like on the verge of getting back into shape. Cause I'm doing a, some big like planning a hunt like a mountain lion hunt and then I'm going hiking um my older brother and I are going to Antelope Canyon in Arizona and hiking that for like a week and um cool. I'm like five four but my brother's six four uh so his stride is like significantly longer you can still out walk him I know you can <laughs> I'm five two so. <laughs> so I'm out of shape but I'm like trying to think of like we have we have a ton of different type of meat to like I just need to become a better cook so I can eat healthier and better and get, um, so I'm just like thinking through all of that. Like, that sounds so awesome. What you just yeah. talked about with like Bobcat chorizo. That sounds awesome. So I have a recipe on my website for mountain lion calabacitas. And that's basically, um, mountain lion with zucchini and yellow squash. Um, that's but awesome. that, that's like one of my family's favorite recipes. I also friends that come over, um, it's kind of a warning. If you ever come to my house, you're not going to know what you're eating. Probably. Uh, one of my friends, she came to archery hunt with me one year and we felt fed her mountain lion tacos and she loved those. She, we didn't tell her till we were done. Cause I was, I wanted people's real opinions, you know, like yeah. how, yeah. how was it? Um, and Thanksgiving, I actually made mountain lion sausage to put into the stuffing and dressing. And everybody loved it. So, I mean, like you said, yeah. it's not mountain lion backstrap makes really great steaks. It really does. Um, but you don't have to always that a lot of the leg meat is real stringy and tough, kind of like, I mean, wild turkey, there can be stringy and tough, but if you grind it and make it into sausage, it's great. That's so, awesome. Where That's like a mountain lion hunt. What was that? Where are you going to go mountain lion hunt? Um, Utah. So oh, cool. we have my, um, my boyfriend is very like, I just never, I never thought that would even be something that I would even have an opportunity or know people to do like, cause I, I, I would have definitely done, um, gone through a guide or something in the future, but, uh, he has friends out there that do this for, you know, basically a living and we can go to them 
as friends and I can get kind of a better, I don't know, one-on-one experience, go stay with them. And he's also, he also lived in Montana for a time. So there's some opportunities in Montana as well. Um, he just being a guide and then, um, my boyfriend's also a competitive coon hunter. So between being a guide and that he and has lived in a few different States, um, he's like very well connected across the country and, you know, we're each other's like first partner that loves doing all these things together, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I definitely don't think that when you're in a relationship, if one's a hunter, the other one doesn't have to be like, I definitely don't think that right. but as someone who almost, um, I kind of had troubles and I was married before I had, I had troubles in previous relationships because I wanted to go all the time. And as the female that was a really active hunter, um, it wasn't as supported yeah. as like my male friends that wanted to hunt all the time. And then the female was like bent out of shape about it. And it's like, oh, like he needs that time. But when I was like that, it was not seen the same way. Yeah. Um, So it's just been really, um, it just, it's almost like, I don't know. It's hard to not have my, my partner with me now. He's my hunting buddy, you know, as well as my life partner. So (laughs) that's cool. (laughs) And and I have couple of friends that have a story similar to yours as far as like their first marriage and how how it was looked at when they would leave to go hunting and it, it's kind of it's interesting dynamic to see um it definitely is one thing I don't know if you talk about mountain lion hunting very much with your listeners um much. I have on other episodes and so you guys will I'm assuming you're going to be using hounds And a lot of people think that hunting with hounds makes hunting easy. And I will tell you that mountain lion hunting, and I've been hunting mountain lions in Colorado and New Mexico. It is the hardest hunt I've ever been on. And mainly where we live in the mountains. And, and I am, I would say that I'm in shape year round. I live on a ranch. I huck bales. I, you know, like we're doing stuff all the time. So I'm, I try to get in better shape. Like when I drew that trophy unit, I started like running and I'm not a runner at five, two, I run like a dump truck with a flat tire. So, Uh, but I definitely did try to get in shape for that. Um, But when you're hunting mountain lions and you're following the dogs, we're lucky because we have technology to track the dogs now. So we don't have to follow the dogs step for step, but still you've got to, okay, the dogs are here and it may be different in Utah if there's roads to get you closer, but here in our mountains, if, the, if we're at the bottom of the mountain and the dogs chase that lion straight up the mountain, we've got to get from here to there before the lion either jumps tree or turns and tries to attack the dogs. Um, so just because you have lions doesn't necessarily, or because you have hounds doesn't necessarily make it easy. What yeah. it does help with for your listeners is it helps with when I tree a cat I can look at the cat and identify if it's a male or female. And then I can decide on population management, whether I want to shoot a male because the female is going to have offspring and she'll, you know, continue the population. Or if it's an area overrun with cats, maybe you do want to shoot a female. Um, So, but I just really want your listeners to know that hunting with hounds does not make the job easy. Sometimes um, the, the hounds will split if there's two cats and then you've got to go find your dogs because you don't want your dogs out there overnight. I mean, that does happen, 
but it's, it's in the winter when it's, you know, freezing cold temperatures, you want to get your dogs back in and get them warm. Um, so it's definitely something that after you go on the hunt, I'd love to listen to an episode of what you thought of the hunt and stuff like that. Um, because like I said, you might be hunting on bluffs and different terrain than we have here because we have definitely high timber mountains and I have been hunting on the bluffs um, and it's a little different. So, but getting from A to B before something happens to the dogs or before the, and then you might get up there and the lion jumped tree and ran. And now you've got to find your dogs again. They're chasing the cat and then you've got to go again. So definitely get in shape. <laughs> Yeah, and I know that you can do it, but I'm just saying like, um, elevation, it plays a factor for people coming from the Midwest that the altitude is definitely a factor for a lot of people. So the air gets real thin real fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to Rocky Mountain National Park one time and I saw that there was a, like a group of mule deer, like all like laying on top of this hill. So I get up on this hill and I sprint up this hill, you know, it's a hill. It's not, it's not anything crazy. Um, I just jump out of my car and sprint up there so I can get a better view of like all these mule deer. And as soon as I hit that hill, I was totally out of breath. I felt like I ran, like I was like, this is, this is going to take me some time <laughs> to get ready for. But um, I really appreciate what you talked about with the hounds. And I, I don't even mean for it to always go this way. But I do talk about being like a houndsman and hunting with hounds a lot now um, in the podcast. I love hunting with dogs. Yeah, I didn't grow up doing that. And so neither did I. It, it's it's like awakened this other, like, I'm a totally different type of hunter than what I thought I would be. If You know, what like gets me really excited. Um, I, I, I didn't have a negative idea about hound hunting, but I really, I just was very ignorant. I, I, there's so many things I didn't understand and, um, I love it and I, I love it. So I really uh, appreciate that note of like, it's not easier hunting with hounds and like understanding their safety and getting a better look at the, at the cat too. Like that. Yeah, it, I couldn't tell you how many cats before I shot, I've only shot one. Um, but how many cats we treat and re and let go if they were immature toms um stuff like that and the dogs need the exercise those dogs want to go they they need to work and just like your bird dog your bird dog needs to go wants it wants to go hunt birds and it's in there it's in their instincts and their makeup and so it's super fun to watch them work and i've been on a lot of lion hunts because where we live there's kind of we have a quota system and so if there's four cats in the unit, then once the four cats are shot, the quota is closed. So there's kind of a, a lineup of like, okay, well, you know, Jack is first in line, Brian's next, Mia's after them. And so there's this system. So I'm going to go along so I can learn and also to get the exercise and watch the dogs because it's super fun. And we actually used to have our own hounds. They passed away in the past year. We had to put them down, mm -hmm. but um, it's, really cool to watch them work and I mean yes you talked about your bird dog and it like makes my heart hurt because I used to have a Weimaraner and she mm -hmm. was my buddy she I would open the she would hear the latch on the safe and she'd be right there and we'd I'd get my coffee cup and we'd go out for a walk in the back of the ranch and you know go shoot doves or something and she loved it and after she died um the first time I went out in the back pasture I shot a dove and I was like 
it was kind of surreal and not in a nice way. Like I shot the dove and I watched it and it took forever until it hit the ground. And then it just like the earth shook when it hit the ground because ordinarily Daisy would be headed to go get my dove. And not that I can't get my dove. I mean, it's in my field, in my pasture, it's not hard. <laughs> but she was my buddy, you know? And so I'm like, it just, it made me so sad. And I love, um, as a writer, I get to go on a lot of different hunts and adventures. And I love hunting behind people's bird dogs. I have yeah. one of my very best friends has bird dogs. And he's like, do you want to come exercise my dogs? And I'm like, yes, because it's so fun to watch them work, you know? Yeah. Um, but that that's something the hounds and hunting lions is something that people argue about hunters argue with hunters about on social media and it's something that's widely misunderstood by hunters and non-hunters because they don't necessarily make the job easy and uh, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get one just because you have dogs and it, i mean a lot of non-hunters think we just go out there and oh there's something shoot it and you know mm -hmm it's a little more challenging than that. And mountain lion hunting, it's a challenge, but it's super fun. Uh, I would say, um, it's probably one of my favorite hunts. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can tell you my favorite. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you if you had a favorite, I think that's a hard question to answer, but maybe do you have a Yeah, it is a difficult one to answer, but I would have to say just like many, many hunters and hunt, hunting elk while they're bugling in the rut is my absolute favorite hunt. I mean, calling in, bugling, redding, mad, angry bulls is the favorite thing. And I think it's the adrenaline rush. Um, and I know you probably were gonna ask about method of take as well, what's my favorite. Um, and I'll talk to you a little about that because I hunted, usually you wanna hunt bull elk in Colorado during archery season, so you get the rut. Um, I killed a bull at 25 feet with my rifle during rifle season because he was about to mow me down and talk about looking at antler size. I had no idea. I just didn't want to die. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, this guy came and he had snot coming out of his nose and he was, he was fighting with another bull on the other side of the brush and came and, and I'm standing in the middle of the clearing, all five foot two of me and my rifle. And here he is. And I was just like, Whoa. Um, but so you don't have to archery hunt to get close to animals. And my favorite method of take is actually handgun hunting. And handgun hunting, I love because you can get up close and personal. Um, I can use and you know like a revolver, a cowboy gun, and or a semi-auto. I mean, my mountain lion, I hunted hunted with a semi-auto gun um, with a 45 caliber. I went on a hog hunt with Remington country a few, four or five years ago and in Florida. And that was when they first launched their 10 millimeter. And I'm not giving shout outs, pros or cons to Remington or anything else, but um, the hunting there, I do a lot of um, basic firearm training and trying to teach people gun safety and stuff like that. So in hunter ed instructor, like safety is ingrained in me, but you don't know how safe you are until you're put in a real scenario. So if you carry a gun for self-defense, you're not going to really know what you're going to do till you're in a, a high adrenaline situation. Well, hunting hogs on the ground in Florida with a handgun and running, and that actually was a hunt with dogs as well. Um, you definitely know, like, 
your safety. Like I, there was a camera guy there cause it was for Remington country TV. And so like, you're not going to point, don't point your gun at the dog. Don't point your gun at the, the camera guy, don't, at other hunters. And so this whole thing, and we're running from hogs, running to hogs, um, all this kind of stuff. And I was really, it, that excited me because I was like, yes, all this practice that I've done, I can do in a high stress adrenaline situation. Um, so handgun and handgun was my favorite even before that, but that was something that people who are wanting to learn self and are willing to hunt, like it, it can get dangerous with big boars. And, and that's there again, that was an adrenaline situation because we had a boar that was trying to kill a dog you know, and you don't yeah. want to shoot the dog. You don't want the dog, the board, board to kill the dog, like all this kind of stuff goes on. So, um, some people might be frightened by something like that, where to me, it was like a live scenario of testing my skills of defending my life or my family. So <laughs> that is such an awesome answer. <laughs> I, would, I, would I could tell you that. stories for days, but <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. I've never, I've never had anyone like talk through that or give that example before. And I'm like, I, I'm kind of, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a ton of sense to me. We, we went hog hunting with dogs in South Carolina and it was very, um, like I had to multiple times get behind trees, uh, to dodge them. So they wouldn't come after me, you know, or to just like get away from the hog. And, um, there was, I mean, oh my gosh, they got super aggressive and there's so many other different scenarios, but I'm like, I am like excited by that answer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense though. Like I, uh, you know, I have my carry concealed and, um, have done like the in-person class. And, um, when, especially when, uh, my boyfriend's gone and he's guiding and I'm home by myself with just my mm -hmm. little bird dog, um, who sounds aggressive, but won't, you know, do anything. I I'm like, I, I think about that. Like, what am I going to, what would I do? Like, would I be able to even think calmly enough to even. Yeah. Cause unless you're in a situation, you just don't know until you're there. And that's the closest I've been with my handgun to yeah. like, uh, that the stress was definitely there because I didn't want to see that dog die. I didn't, you know, like, and, and yeah. Quite honestly, I don't like hunting with cameras or film crews or stuff like that. It, it to me, uh, years ago, people were like, oh, you and your daughter should have a TV show. And I'm like, no, thank you. Like that doesn't interest me. Um, so that puts a stress to me, like, yeah. okay, I'm going and I'm feeling, I'm hunting with a film crew. Like I can't just hunt. I have to listen to like, oh, no, don't, I don't have a view. I don't have, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and so that to me is stressful too, but not the same. So, but to have it all together, I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Like, sorry about your TV show, but this dog needs to live and we need to. Like... <laughs> yeah, no, I, that is, that is so cool. Um, I definitely need to like, look into like, and research that more. I know that there's, there are, um, I don't know what some of the laws are where I am, but I, I think there's some animals you can't hunt with that, but I, I definitely want to learn more about that. That's like, that's really, really cool. And I yeah. could see that being an interest to people who are getting into hunting, um, who maybe have introduction to like handguns and I, I, that's fascinating. It might be. And one thing that I do, I do caution people. And even in hunter ed, we don't cover handgun a lot because right. the shorter muzzle 
you have more of a danger of sweeping yourself or someone else. Right. Um, so it's definitely like if somebody competes with handgun or something right. like that, if they're very experienced, yep. they may be interested in it. Um, why we hunt mountain lions with handguns is because the bullet doesn't travel as far as, you know, like using my 270 rifle or something right. like that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different factors and preference and so forth, but I've just been a fan of like old cowboy action type stuff. And so like um, the past two years in the fall, I've had black bear tags and I've been hunting with my Henry lever action 30, 30. And I actually put a scope on it because it just, it's cool. Uh, I think it's cool. (laughs) Um, It's like old West meets modern, but um, part of that is just, I guess, it's those stages like methods of take I don't have to shoot a bear yes if I shoot a bear I'll process it eat the bear um but it's to me the time in the woods and exploring and seeing what other animals I see out there so uh, I could take my I do take my Tika 270 quite often and like okay the freezer is getting low let's go get an elk or let's go get a deer (laughs) that is so cool I totally blanked on my, my, like uh, my next question. Cause I'm so like, I just, I'm like, just, how is she talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's so awesome. Oh, but um, one thing I was going to tell you, if you go to Utah, if you decide to do a handgun or something like that, um, there are rules about like the muzzle length of your gun and the velocity of the, the bullet, the, obviously the caliber is a thing too. So check that out before you handgun hunt. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, um, the more, you know, the last few years is really when I've started to hunt in like different states. Um, and I knew that from state to state, things are so different, but it is, it is really, I, every time I hunt in a new state, it does throw me off quite a bit, like how different the regulations and laws are. Um, and just, yeah, definitely can't stress that enough for people to just really pay attention. Yeah. It might be your state next door, but the laws and tags and seasons are, probably very different. Um, and that's something I, an editor that I used to write for when I was guiding, I would go on guided hunts in other States. And she's like, why would you pay for a guided hunt? Um, first of all, I can learn guiding techniques from other guides, but also like if, if I don't have time to go to Iowa to scout or find properties or whatever, I can pay a guide and they can do it for me. They can set set stands for me. They can do that for me. Um, so, and, and they can help me with the laws, but one thing, like I said, I'm on the SCI ethics committee. Don't count on your guide telling you the laws, like make sure you learn them for yourself because some guides just want you to be successful and they might break laws. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is a great point. Um, that's a super solid point. And we, uh, when I, I've mentioned it, cause I know it's kind of a, I don't think this is a super common thing. I, I did go to hunting guide school in South Dakota. So it was like a Midwest hunting guide school. Um, I don't know, like there's some, I just wanted to do this really bad. I had been looking at Western guide schools for, uh, years and then just put it off either from time cost, self-doubt probably, but I'm an Iowa girl. I love turkey hunting and deer hunting and goose hunting. And I love teaching and helping people do those things and, and know that hunting doesn't necessarily for the Midwesterners, like, you know, sometimes if they're new to it, they think it looks like you have to like go out and like hunt an elk. And it's like, no, there's so much here in the Midwest that you can hunt and have like a great time and be successful. So that was really cool. But we talked a lot about that. Um, 
as a guide, just uh, making those calls, what that looks like. It was a really fascinating conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually on the guide topic, like I know we've been over like an hour now, but I, um, so I had this in listening to you talk about like guiding your uncle when you were 12 earlier, I, it made me think of this and, um, I've shared this before in the podcast, but truly with like all my heart, this is the best moment of me going to guide school was one of the trainers, um, one of the, one of the outfitters there who taught the class, his 12 year old daughter, um, helped, uh, in all of the, um, like role-playing scenarios. So we would go out to like a field and she would like be, you know, swinging her gun the wrong direction. And like, how do you handle those situations? And, um, she had like an injury and, uh, all of those things. And anyway, she, she took me aside later and she was like complimenting like that you know then I had hair extensions eyelash extensions and my nails on my nails done at the time um which uh I'm trying and to people like, look at you differently depending on how you look right? like <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't look like a hunter people are like what <laughs> well she was so sweet and she this this girl is she um she is an archery lacrosse she sings all over the country the national anthem all over the country her dad and mom are like super hardcore into the outdoors and she does like everything she is just like the coolest 12 year old girl she comes up to me and she starts like complimenting like my nails and my hair and stuff and then she's like okay okay I came over actually to tell you like how awesome I think it is that you're here like as a girl it's really cool to see a girl here wanting to be a guide like and she was just so sweet and like that was why I wanted to do stuff like that was to empower other girls to do that. And something I, I'm curious about, um, you know, in the Midwest, I, I, I've, I've, I think in my actually like met until the podcast, I don't know if that I knew any female guides. Now I know a handful, I know a couple in Iowa. Um, and now I've met about a dozen across the country that actually like are hunting guides, um, either part-time or full-time capacity. Um, has that like, have you, has that been a struggle? Like being a female, what does that look like? Have you met a lot of other female guides? Like, what does that look like? So as I said, like where we live, um, pretty much, I mean, it is kind of changing as the population in Colorado changes, you know, the demographic is changing, but the president of our outfitters association, her name is Jennifer Burby. She is a woman. Um, she, she and her husband own their own own guide business. And so she, she's amazing. Um, just over here in the next unit, there's, um, I want to say her thing is called Sundown Outfitters, but Trish Tully, she's the guide and she's, she's been guiding and, and same thing growing up with her dad and hunting. And, um, so to me, it's kind of an interesting thing because over the years, a lot of interviews, people are like, what's it like being a woman in the hunting world? You know? And I'm just like, it's probably the same as being a guy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've never really seen an issue because if most of the girls, like I said, you take Hunter Ed in high in school. We used to take it in middle school. I still teach it at one of the middle schools. Um, but it was just a thing. So it wasn't to me. It wasn't an issue until I got on social media and people are like, "Oh my gosh, there's no women that hunt." And I was like, "What?" You know, and and not all of the women still hunt. That you know that grew up in the hunting world, but 
it just hasn't been a big issue um, as far as meeting other women. And um, if you want to be introduced to some, uh, some of them, actually, they're, a lot of them aren't even on social media. They just don't care about it. They just like to be out guiding and hunting. Um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like, that's kind of where I was kind of going to, you know, starting to say this earlier that if I didn't have the podcast and, um, you know, I'm starting to write and just different things. Like I've put myself out there on social media to kind of help continue to grow those things. But sometimes like, I just kind of wish I didn't have it. And like, sometimes I kind of wish yeah. that I, you know, it just depends. Um, but I've, I'm, I'm just curious about it because I had this kind of buildup of not going to guide school or not becoming a guide when I was younger, because to be honest, like it was kind of, I mean, it was either said directly or indirectly to me, like, you shouldn't do that because you're a female. And it was, I mean, unfortunately, oh, yeah. it's just like what was said to me. Um, and it wasn't because the people didn't love me. They just didn't, they couldn't wrap their head around the idea. Um, and so I also downplayed it for myself. And then once I went there and I went through it and realized how much I did know, um, and at the end, they give you an evaluation and they talk to you about everything. Um, I never, it, it like, I'm trying to think how to put this into words. It, it no longer seemed like a barrier that I was a female to so them to them, they were so excited that I was a female doing that. And they had no, um, they're like, we'll put guys that have been coming here for years with you. Like, yeah, you might have one, some of those guys that if something goes wrong, they might blame it on you because you're a new, a new chick that could happen, Yeah. but th they would probably do that to anybody anyway, if they're that kind of person. Um, well, you know, it just there's always the, the male female thing. And I've always chosen not to dwell on it. I'm, I'm a woman, I'm five foot two. Um, I have a, a Hispanic background. Um, I could just be like, Oh world, please. Like I'm so, I'm so oppressed. I'm so, uh, you know, like I'm suffering so much discrimination. And I guess I learned it from my grandmother because everyone says I'm a lot like her, but I'm Mia and I'm going to do what I think is right. Um, and that's why I do it or it, like hunting. I do it because I love it and I share it because I think other people need to understand it. And that's why some of the comments I've made in your podcast here is I want people to understand, not necessarily that they have to do it, but I want them to understand it. And, and so if, there, if, if you're a guy and you say, oh, I want to buy a seven millimeter eight rifle for my son, I'm going to go over to Bass Pro and I'm going to buy this rifle. Well, instead they try to sell you, I don't know, a six, five Creedmoor and they tell you that's right. Well, if I'm a woman and I go and they do that, then I'm discriminated against, but it happens every day to men. I mean, one of my very best friends that it's a real story that happened to him. They told him, no, that's not what your son needs. Your son needs the six, five. And, um, it just kind of makes me laugh because it's all, it's all in how we want to receive it. And we have to have our confidence. So when I go and I teach, I, I'm a woman teaching a hunter ed class. And um, I, there are dads that sit in the, the youth classes. And at, at first you can see them with their arms crossed and they're oh, this, you know, little lady thinks she's going to tell me, you know, and I'm teaching hunter ed, like, okay, if you want to come on a hunt, I'll teach you how to hunt. But uh, you didn't mention that earlier, like, 
not, you, we can't teach everything in hunter ed. It's only 10 hours. You know, it takes a lifetime. I mean, every time I'm out on a hunt, I learn. But one thing that I've learned is it doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female when you're out hunting, the elk don't care what you are. Right. Like, <laughs> no, that is such, you said that in such like a, like, I, I think that's exactly, that's exactly what I was trying to say was I, unfortunately around my circumstances around me didn't support the idea of me being a female guide or like really a female yeah. hunter a whole lot, but and I really, I took that on as my identity. Like I, yeah, I'm just a woman who loves to hunt, but I can't take it to the next step because like, I just can't do that. And then but when I can. actually did it, I was like, I can't believe I took so long to do this. Like, why did yeah. I do that? Like there was no resistance. There was no, um, I, I mean, yes, I, I have definitely been discriminated against for being a female and all those things, but it really ultimately hasn't held me back because I love doing it and I'm going to keep doing it anyway. So just like that, what you said, like, I like felt that in my core of like, I am, I am Mia, like I am Steph and I'm going to do this and I love this. It has nothing to do with <laughs> male or female anyway. Um, it's just part of who I am, you know, I, I love that so, so much. <laughs> I do because I held myself back because I built up I how I received it I took that as like a barrier and it never really was a barrier I could have yeah. like pushed through that either way well and I mean find your confidence sometimes you may need to be reminded of your confidence um know that you do know the things and whatever it is if, if it's guiding if it's hunting if it's I don't know marketing whatever it is no you have to have confidence in yourself um always be learning and the more you learn the more confident you can be and and as you said like haters on social media it does hurt when people hate on you and i have friends that say oh whatever i just ignore it it doesn't bother me well i've had hate on me and it does bother me and so okay i'm different than you but if you, you if you need your confidence boost like step back and remind yourself and then carry on and just steer clear of whoever that was that decided to be a jerk to you that day and maybe they were just having a bad day I don't know some yeah and some people were just brought up that way I I told you my dad and my brother hunted and that's because my my dad didn't want me out there you know he's like we're, we're going hunting before school you get ready you get to sleep in and whatever and then okay well we got one you guys are skipping school we're gonna take care of the deer you know like <laughs> so um and that's just the way it kind of was, was like, and it wasn't necessarily that women don't hunt, but you know, he's older, we're going to do this. And I moved away at right around 12, 13 years old. So I, I never transitioned into being the hunter until I was an adult. And yeah, my dad was super, I, I was like, wonder how he's going to take this. And he was just like, Hey, I, I'll buy you a gun. I'm like, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's just like a great way to kind of, I, I, there's so many things I would love to pick your brain about and ask you. And I just don't, <laughs> it's already been like almost an hour and a half. I can't believe that. Um, I, I just think that's a great way to kind of like get to the end too, of just, um, sometimes what's holding us back is like ourselves, right. Just like it our is. perceived, our perceived barrier of ourselves is something that like, we think we can't do because someone else told us we can't or whatever, you know, the narrative yeah. is, but, um, I love that so much. And thank, thank you for like these positive words and like information. I, I value them a lot. And 
um, how, how can, how can other people find you? Like what can, what can I share with the listeners and they can hear more from you? Well, we mentioned my YouTube. I haven't been regular on my YouTube videos. And, and that's the thing we're just talking about, you know, struggles, whatever I, I've had a challenging last fall. Actually last year was challenging. Um, so I pick and choose what I can take and carry and what I can let go. I've been carrying advocacy a lot. I've been at the Capitol. I've been at different hearings and stuff like that. Um, I haven't been very good on my YouTubes. I plan to get back to those and um, Mac Outdoors podcast. Um, but on social media, I'm on Instagram, Mia Anstein, and that's where I guess you follow me. I don't know. Um, but Mia Anstein on Instagram. I'm on Twitter occasionally. As I said, it's kind of depressing political over there right now. Um, and Facebook, I, I have my profile, but I also have a page that where I'm usually added on my page and that's Mia Anstein as well. I'm not creative with crazy handles or anything like that. So <laughs> perfect. Well, thank you. And, and do you have any, um, do you have any parting words? <laughs> any uh, words of wisdom? I think the, my main word of wisdom and that I would tell anybody is, like I said, always be learning, just keep, keep going. And especially if you have a hunting journey, like Steph just reached out and asked if she could visit with me, um, reach out to people and ask them questions. My podcast, the Mac Outdoors podcast, which also has kind of taken a hiatus because of things that have been going on. Um, it's just me. I don't interview people, but people that send me questions I answer their questions on the podcast because I figure if somebody had that question, someone else wants to know the same information. So yeah. ask people questions. Um, I would be cautious at answers you get on social media and Facebook groups because you just don't know who's answering the question unless you've researched them to see that they actually have grown up hunting or gone to guide school or, you know, their experiences. But I've had a lot of newbies trying to tell me things about hunting that I'm like, whoa, whoa hang on a second. You know, just like we said about antler size, you know, you live in a different part of the world than I do. Things are different here than there. And that's another thing. Get out and explore different states or even different countries. I mean, right now, maybe not don't go to another country. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I love to go to other countries to see why they hunt the way they do, because we, you know, growing up where you grew, wherever you grew up, you think that's the way you do it. And that's tried and true the only way, but you'll learn why people have other techniques, why they hunt with dogs, why, you know, why they hunt in stands, why they spot and stock. So if you can get out and explore, please do that. Yeah, no, that's so great. That's great advice. And thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Um, like you have no idea you are, you are a total badass, and that is like why I wanted to interview you. And I just think, um, I, I think there's a lot you can teach, uh, teach us, teach me, teach me. please. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. <laughs> I'll teach you how to go to the Capitol next. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode, being here, supporting the podcast. We're doing awesome things, talking to awesome people. I appreciate and love you guys so much. I hope this has inspired you. Until next time, get out there 